0: Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast, the space where we explore common misunderstandings of how life works, allowing us to gain new perspectives on health, wealth, relationships, and much more. Life doesn't have to be hard work. It can be a flowing collection of experiences if we learn some simple truths about how our experience is created. Through this understanding, we realize that at a fundamental level, we are all already whole and perfect. Okay, cool alive. Hi, Cathy. welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast. Nice to see you.
1: Good to see you.
0: Thank you for being here. and um, yeah, we finally made it on the subject of resilience.
1: <laughs> yes. Um,
0: and you know I, all these all these subjects you know that come up are so so relevant in my own story you know and I was and you know I was reflecting on resilience you know today and and it's like I think that you know I I probably didn't even have an understanding of what it was you know for for many years and and then even though my my own personal story is full of resilience you know it's full of like showing that even though I was creating a a life of suffering and then trying to escape from it, you know, within addiction, within drugs, within medication, within committing crime, chaos, being locked up, or, you know, the, the absolutely chaotic life that I had, um, you know, it, it, there was no, like, understanding, oh, you know, this is kind of who I am, you know, that, that I always know what to do in the moment or or anything like that. And And then I think, like, you know, when I got into the world of, change i guess which was 26 years ago through the 12 steps originally and then into therapy and then into personal development you know of all different types it was like resilience was always talked about as if it was something you you had to do something to get you know it was kind of like you had to um develop your resilience you know by doing certain things or or studying certain things and it was something that you learn about and, and, and that you got better at, you know, as time went on. Um, so, you know, that's my kind of jumping off point. You know, I'd love to okay. hear from you, how you see it, you know? For yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I was kind of in the same situ- same situation, meaning I, and I was ha- pretty much almost finished with my master's degree in clinical psychology. And, um, and as I was learning the principles, which by accident I fell into it, which was amazing because I wasn't looking for it. But I, I didn't know either. I didn't know what resiliency was. But it's really funny because we're all operating from it and we all intuitively know that we have it, but we just don't have what I would call certainty in it. Meaning, like, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I don't know what to do, or I'm going through something, or this is, you know, they're just really struggling. And then they remember something their grandmother said or their mother said, or, or somebody would say to them, well, you know, just sleep on it. Mm. Just sleep on it. And then in the, the next day, it, things will look different. Now, that's a very profound thing to say. And people would do that. They would, okay, I just need to I just need to go to bed. And then they wake up and it, most of the time they wake up with like, oh, I see what to do or, oh man, I, what was wrong with me yesterday? Okay, things are bad, but I think I'm going to be okay. I mean, people definitely had a better take on things the next day. Mm. Well, what's behind that? See, I, and, and then the, the other thing for me would, uh, was um, in my life, I've had situations where I came out okay. Um, for an example, I got in the eighties, I worked here in Silicon Valley. Most people have heard Silicon Valley. It's where, Mm. where they first started making the PC, the personal computer. And I was, um, in in a key position in in one of the big startup companies, very fast paced, very intense, which I loved. And the culture at the time, this is in the eighties was everybody did cocaine. So cocaine was the end thing to do well there you know of course i got into cocaine because everybody else did and got highly addicted like really bad and so here i'm a professional person i'm a mother i have a 5 year old and i'm highly addicted to cocaine and i remember one day just going out on a run it i mean i just didn't come home I was just using all night long. And the next day I woke up and I was extremely depressed. The crash was so bad. And in that moment, I wanted to go home and take a bottle of pills. I, I, was, I was suicidal. Now I'm so depressed. And I had, a, I, I had a bottle of medication at home. It was an antidepressant that somebody prescribed to me. Um, and I thought, well, I'm just gonna go home and take the bottle of pills. And that's, that, that'll take care of every, and I was definitely, I had made my mind up. And as I was driving home, there was this little voice inside of me that said, drive to the hospital. So instead of driving home, I dro- drove to the ER at this hospital. Walked into the ER, had my, <laughs> my, my medical card and I said, I, I, I think there's something seriously wrong with me. I'm ready to have a nervous breakdown. I'm feeling very suicidal. I need to be checked in. And, and they looked at me like, honey, you know, go home. They, they didn't take me seriously. So I, I, I thought, and when they told me to go home, I thought, okay, I'm going to go home. And I even said to her, I said, okay, well, I'll go home and I'll take an overdose of pills and I'll call the ambulance and then that, will you take me then? I mean, was very, I was very sarcastic. <laughs> And they thought, oh, we got a live on it. Just go away, lady. Because I had a good, I mean, I looked decent. You know, I had a suit on. And so to make a long story short, I just went to a phone booth. Back then there were no cell phones. This, this tells mm-hmm. you, this is back in the, um, the 80s. And I call, I was in therapy. I call my therapist. And he, he knew I was in trouble. He, he said, okay, you stay put. He called another, um, psychi- he called a friend of his who's a psychiatrist. So I talked to the psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist says to me, I'm sending you to, no, he called a medical doctor. He didn't call us. That. He called a medical doctor. The medical doctor called me back in the phone booth and said, you're, I made an appointment for you with the psychiatrist, but it's not till four o'clock this afternoon. And this is like 10 o'clock in the morning. And, and he said, so he's willing to see you. And I, I thought, well, I could go home and do the pills or I could just go see the psychiatrist. Well, I drove right, right where the psychiatrist, there was a coffee shop. I sat in that coffee shop till my appointment at four o'clock in the afternoon. And, and it's funny, when I went in and I told him everything was going on and I said, yeah, I'm having a mental breakdown, blah, blah, blah. He said, no, you're not having a mental breakdown. You just have a drug problem. You, you, you need treatment for drug addiction. I, and it was funny because I really didn't get that. I didn't know. I said, really? That's all? Uh, that's all? I mean, I was relieved. And then I immediately checked into treatment, you know, walked into a treatment program, uh, did the program, and I was done. That was it, over. Mm. Looking back, what got me through that was my resiliency. But see, at the time, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't, you know... Somehow it kept me from going home to take those pills. And, and to me, when I first learned these principles and when they started talking about this resiliency or wisdom or limitless potential or the human spirit or whatever word you want to put on that, that's when I, well, that's what helped me get through that. And that's what helped me get through other situations where I thought I'm going to just fall apart. But somehow, so I, I used to think I was just sort of lucky or I was like a cat that had nine lives. You know, I, you know, I have, I've used up seven, I've got two more left or, you know what I mean? The planets were all in the right aligned. I mean, I never attributed to something that was inside me the whole time. And so on a, just on a simple case of just sleeping on something versus you know, a life and death decision. Should I go home and o- overdose on pills or should I keep sit in this coffee shop and, and wait for this appointment? See, that part of us, I think intuitively we know it's there, but we don't have the certainty and we don't look in that direction. We don't look there for the answers. And so when I first woke up to this, it was almost like, well, that explains everything. Because I really did think I lived, I thought I lived a charm life. I really did. Somehow Kathy, you know, for some reason, you know, God is, you know, t- t- you know, t- doing favors for you. And, and in the religious environment, they would say, yeah, that's God inside you. But the bottom line is I had no respect or certainty Until I started reflecting. And so anybody listening right now, reflect on your life and reflect on times when you went through something really difficult, like for you, Jason, all the stuff you've been through and look where you are right now. And, you know, even if you're shooting up heroin in your arms, that's that, that there's that part of you is just trying to help you. See, that's, I still see that as resiliency. Mm -hmm. See, people are just trying to get back to that place. And so if you, if you, it's kind of funny. The fact that people are trying to get back to a place, to me, is evidence that the place exists. So regardless of what people are doing to be OK, in the extreme, shooting up heroin, in the extreme, I've worked with all kinds of folks who've done very bad things. Or I've worked with people who have severe mental illness, severe schizophrenia. Um, it, it it's amazing how that's operating inside of them. And to this day, um, I'll never forget this. Um, we did a lot of work here in Santa Clara County. We had programs all over the place. We had them in shelters. We had them in the drug treatment programs. We had them in the jails. I mean, we were just, I mean, we were lucky. We got to do that. And we got a call from um, the head of mental health in Santa Clara County, big time. Huge department, big budget, and they were going to get a ton of federal money, but on the condition that they meet with the recipients, the people, the customers who are going to receive the services, the mental health services. And so that meant they had to do uh, like surveys. What do they do when they test a product? I forget the name for that. So they went out to all the programs. They interviewed the homeless people out on the street. You know, they did this massive intake and and we didn't know this was going on we get a call from the head of mental health she, she asked to speak to me and my colleague Linda Ramos we get called in and we're like oh well this is interesting I wonder what they want she said we did this massive survey of what what these folks want what is their priority and pretty much every one of them said they want to have the principles they want that to be a part of whatever program they provide for them. And we looked at her, we said, you're kidding me. She says, I, now I'd heard about your programs, but I don't know if you realize massively, that's all these folks were talking about. Now, how amazing is that? How amazing is that? Because of them, all this money was released to, to do more work with the homeless folks and more uh, budget was given to these, and so we were teaching in the shelters and all over the place, but the bottom line is, they knew, they recognized something that helped them. And I've had I've had groups of folks, I used to have a drop-in class Thursday night, and sometimes I walk in, there'd be like 40, 50 people, half of them walk in off the street, A lot of medication in the room. Like, I'm like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. By the end of the session, they're like in the room now. You, you, you can feel them come out of the haze. You could just literally see the transformation, like physically see people like wake up. So to me, the, there's no doubt in my mind. I have absolute, absolute certainty that I have it in me. And to me, that's key. If you don't see it for yourself, then you're going to have a hard time seeing it in others because there's absolutely no exception of any human being on this planet. Absolutely no exception. Every human being has this inside of them. But many times we we don't have that respect that it resides in us. We don't have the respect for it or the certainty. In the business world, we did a lot of work with engineers, you know, really smart guys and physicists and, and they're, oh, you guys are airy fairy and, you know, you know, all this resiliency and. And it, it was tough. It was tough. They, they were like sitting there like, oh, do we, how long, how long do we have to listen to this? You know what I mean? And so finally I said, well, what do you got, what happens when you guys can't solve a problem? You know, what happens when you guys are working on something that's really important and you, you're just literally stuck? And they look at me and and I go, well, I know that happens in your world because I've worked with you guys. I've worked with engineers, you know, in Silicon Valley. So, and and they said, well, yeah, you're right. We do get, we sometimes get, we get really stuck and there is a lot at stake. And I said, so what happens? And one guy goes, you know what? Many times when I can't just deal with it anymore, I leave the building. They had a huge campus. I walk around the campus and I go, really? So wh- what happens when you walk? He said, somehow by the time I get back, I have it figured out. And, and then another one would say, you know, I get my best ideas when I'm taking a shower. And, and they all started to share these stories. I said, well, that's what we're talking about. See, you come out of your head and you slip into this, this intuitive place. And I said, the problem in this world is we live in our heads and we don't have respect for this other dimension that's really actually running the show. But if you don't have eyes for it, then you're going to struggle and struggle and keep working on yourself and trying to help yourself. And I'm not saying, I mean, to me, anything you do is, is good. I mean, any, I don't care what you're doing. You're, you're, that's your resiliency helping you. But, but if you could realize what's behind that, what's driving you to, to find that peace of mind or to find this somehow being okay, that's built into you. You're born with it. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on resiliency.
0: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> wow, I love that. There were so many things in there, you know, that were apt and interesting for me, you know, and, and it's quite funny when working with people and you have that conversation about, them having a clear mind in the shower when they wake up or problem seeming solving and and they say, Yeah, and what else? You know, Yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> It's, it's so not what?
0: that too simple. <laughs> too simple, you know. It's kind of like that can't be the can't be the answer because I think we've been conditioned, you know, like we live in a world where everything's supposed to be so complicated or complex to solve or or you need um, endless credentials or people with that levels of expertise in order to help you work stuff out. You know, it can't be just as simple as getting a quiet mind and, um, and, and, and the answers just coming to you because it just doesn't look that way to most people. Right.
1: Well, it, it, it's, it's kind of funny because um, I had this one situation. I'll never forget this. Um, the, one of the, yeah, we, we had two evening classes free, free of charge. Anybody could just show up. And so this and we had a lot of folks who were in treatment programs and the programs allowed them to come out at night to come to our classes. And mm. so there was this one young lady, she she was in the back room I can kind of visualize her right now. She raised her hand and she said, "Well, Kathy, I have mul- multiple personality disorder." And and I they, there's a new word for it now. I forget I forget the clinical term anymore, but I said I I almost said to her, "Well, congratulations!" But I, I bit my, t- <laughs> and I said, "Really?" She goes, "Yeah, um, yeah." I ha- Kathy now, how come I have all these different people inside of me? And I said, "Well, you know, it's interesting. What, you know, when you when I think about, for me, I could say there there are days when I have different people inside of me. You know, I have." Sometimes I have the mom side of me in, in my head. Other times I have the sister side of me in my head. Other times I have the Kathy's a bitch inside my head. I said, yeah, so it's amazing how we can have different people in our head. Now, sometimes the people are different from us in our head. But to me, that's just thought. That's just thought that takes on different, you know, we can have all kinds of different things in our head. And that's all I said to her. That was it. I said, mm. that, you know, it's, it's interesting that that happens. Three, four weeks later, maybe six weeks later, she raises her hand and she says, Kathy, I'm just one person now. Mm. <laughs> and I said, really? She said, yeah, all the other people went away. Mm. And I, I said, well, congratulations. Now, do you like the one person that's left? She goes, yeah, that's the one that's me. And I said, well, that's fabulous. I- I'm so happy for you. And she said, but my psychiatrist is mad at me. <laughs> and I said, why mm-hmm. is your psychiatrist? Apparently, he was like one of the top multi-personality psychiatrist guys. He He thinks I'm, what's the word she said? he thinks I'm delusional. He thinks whatever it was, he basically told her, no, honey, you you do, you still have it. You're not just one person. I mean, he literally could not believe that she was back to being one person. And I said, well, are you, I mean, are you mandated to go to see the psychiatrist? She said, yeah. I said, is he prescribing you medication? She goes, yeah. I said, well, you know, use your own wisdom about that. You know, you, you know if it's part of what the judge wants you to do if it's a, then you know you need to li- listen to your wisdom about that because you know you don't want to have to go back to jail cuz she's she was in the drug treatment program i said but i can tell you know and i know and that's the most important thing and she was just it was amazing now you would think the psychiatrist would have actually seen the difference in her cuz she was different and he would be curious who how come this happened to you what are you doing and, and, and actually one time a psychiatrist did come to my evening group because one of his clients had a profound change and they still sit back and they're like yeah whatever again it it you know i and, and like i said i didn't say a whole lot to her and she was just in that room listening and listening to the other folks another time a shaman. was at the back of my room. I didn't know he was a shaman, but I could feel his presence, a native uh, Indian gentleman. And at the end of my class, um, he came up to me, he said, you and I are speaking to the same thing. And I said, I I absolutely agree with that. He said, but the reason why I'm I'm, uh, up here right now, and the reason why I came is, my son has been in your class in jail, and I've been trying to teach him our, our ways our our what we believe in in our culture and he rejected it he said since he's been lis- listening to you and been in your class he wants to come back to the family he wants to get reconnected and he thanked me i said yeah it, this this is at the core of a lot of different religions cultures and he was for some reason he was able to hear it because you know, I'm neutral. Whereas dad, you know, dad's not neutral for him. But, but all of a sudden he started recognizing what dad was talking about. So I've had great people show up, you know, in a positive way or Mm -hmm. mothers showing up and thanking me, um, because they have, their son is in jail and, and has been in the gang life and they feel like they've lost their child, like their child, their innocent child, once they went into the gang culture, my son has been lost to me. When they get reconnected, this, this mother who didn't speak English, she comes up to me with a translator to thank me and she's got tears in her eyes. And I said, well, you need to thank him also because he was, he was able to hear, he allowed it in. But I said, yeah, your son has been in there the whole time. It just, he mm-hmm. just allowed it to come out. So again, resiliency comes out in so many different ways. Um, I've had women in my classes who have lost their parental rights because of their drug addiction and they've been depressed and, you know, they're on medication because their children have been taken away from them. And one woman came up to me who had been distraught, just distraught. And as soon as she was going to get out of treatment, she said, what's the use? They took my kids. It doesn't matter anymore and she was just going to go back out and start using again and she was just sitting in the class sitting in the class and she came up to me she said i finally realized yes i lost my children physically but they're still in my heart and if i lived a, if i live a good life then maybe i can get re- reconnected to them again see she just realized that there was hope that it, it wasn't over so It just shows up in so many, I've been, I, there are times I have to pinch myself that I get to be witness to these amazing transformations. So to me, resiliency is a done deal. So I don't care what people are struggling with. When I see them, I see pure resiliency. That's what I have eyes on. They just don't know it yet, but it doesn't take much for them to, to wake up to it and realize that it's in there.
0: Yeah, it's so powerful, isn't it? You know, it's just like, I got a bit of a shiver as you were speaking, you know, about, about those stories, because, you know, many, many people, they don't know where to go for help, and they go for help, but yet, the people that they go to see them as broken, you know, and it's kind of like, and, and I'm, I'm fighting that battle all the time, people actually, in in the addiction treatment, where I'm thinking I'm a bit crazy that I'm kind of like that, that people are actually broken and there is really a disease called addiction, you know. And it's like, um, you know, I've been, you know, I've studied the history of the 12 steps, you know, like in depth from from um, Bill W.'s original enlightenment experience, very similar to Sid Banks's experience and um, how he tried to pass that on and what he went through. And I'm just reading a book called The Book of Woe. I don't know if you've seen it uh, or read it but it's it's an explanation of like the development of the DSM you know of how it how it came about and all the all the arguments that the psychiatrists went through and all the stages of the of the manual and all stuff like that and it's clear in there that they knew that there was no such thing you know that there was no such thing as these diagnoses that it was all about money you know and it's like it's interesting that today people it's like an urban myth a little bit isn't it you know that like people think they're real things as the disease of addiction or or um depression or general anxiety disorder or whatever it is that they're actually like something that's inside of someone and once they've got it it's a real it's a real thing but when you were talking I was thinking you know the power of something so simple you know the power of just seeing that like all what i was thinking when you were talking was you know about my own experience when i was lost in in chaotic behavior and you know drug addiction and stuff you know like seeing the resilience in that you know seeing that i'd never seen that before i'd never saw it that way that that was keeping me alive or keeping me sane that is yes from a psychotic episode imagine imagine if my overthinking would have kept going and going and going with no relief from it you know it's gonna i would have had what you might call in, in clinical terms, a breakdown or, a, or, or, you know, or, or something or ended up in a locked ward again, you know, it's kind of like, but I just never seen it that way. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah, it's yeah. so, No, pe- I truly
1: believe that. Yeah. I truly believe that. Yeah. I, I Go on. see this. I think the psyche can only take so much mm. and then it will shut down. Um, but, but here's the thing. I used to have a lot of thinking about what you're saying, you know, um, actually 12 step. When I checked in for treatment, my first 12, step I'll never forget this. So they give you the big blue book. And I thought, Oh God, what did I get myself into? You know, I get the blue book. And then they take us over to our first meeting and I'm sitting there. I'd never been in a 12 step meeting. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, Oh man, maybe I should not. It was a voluntary check. I mean, I volunteered to check into this program. So, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I should reconsider this. (laughs) What, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here. And, um, and so I'm sitting there in my first meeting and all of a sudden it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's not them. It's me. I just had this huge, huge insight. Mm. My life, because the reason why I use is because everybody was making me feel bad. That, that was kind of the, the premise. You know, my boss, my husband, you know, this and that. I mean, I, I could make a list of why I, I was messed up and I needed to use drugs. So it was basically their fault. My first 12-step meeting, huge, huge insight. It's not them, it's me. I just, <laughs> I almost was laughing when I realized it. And as soon as I realized that, a calm came over me. And I was done. That was it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because of course I went through the program and I had to almost pretend that I was having a hard time because <laughs> once I realized what the deal was, I was fine. So to me, it was like a paid, like going away to summer camp. You know what I mean? I, I, I got to not have to be responsible. I could just be in this program. But when people would visit me from my family, I'd go, yeah, I'm working on my issues. And Even the medical director says to me, "Uh, "What's up with you?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" Well, usually people are in here, but I actually went in to see him because I they were giving me this medication that made me kind of loopy. And I said, "You know, could I not take this medication anymore? I really, I I don't think I need it." And he said, "What's up with you? People are usually begging for medication." and you're asking not to have medic. I mean, right away he, he saw there was something up with me. And I said, well, s- s- doctor, I came in here to get off drugs, not to get on them. So he, I was so grateful, he said, well, no, fine. We can, we can take you off, no problem. But the bottom line is, I had that huge insight. Now, I, went, I proceeded in my life, using was like pff, gone never had a desire, but I was still wound up inside my mind. I mean, I didn't need to use anymore, but I was still like on the inside, just really didn't, didn't feel connected, didn't feel at ease. I mean, I looked good on the outside, but on the inside, I was a mess. 10 years later, when I first heard the principles, that's when the penny dropped and I realized, oh, the inside thing, oh, that's, that's you doing that. It, it isn't life, it's you doing it. So so I had the first huge insight around my drug addiction. And you know what? I am so grateful for 12-step. Now, when we were doing our evening classes, the word got out in the 12-step world, hey, if you wanna stop using, go to Kathy's class. So I'd get tons of people coming in from the 12-step program. And our program was sponsored by the drug and alcohol department, which was kind of interesting. And they would come in and they'd raise their hand and say, you know, I'm Johnny, I'm an addict alcoholic. And so finally I said, okay, here's the deal. For, for this class tonight, we're all in here just as human beings. You know, you know, we're just human beings. So you can say, hello, my name's Johnny, I'm a human being, that's totally cool. But we don't need to do the other. But here's the thing, I start asking them. So help me understand what what helps you going to the 12-step meetings? And they said, oh, it feels good. You don't feel alone. A lot of times I'll be stressed out, but when I'm in a meeting, I, I feel better. I said, that's great. And you keep going. You keep going. If that's helping, you keep going to your meetings. And then I said, now, when you have that good feeling and then you're not in the meeting, where does that go? Where does the good feeling go? Oh, Kathy, I start worrying about this and why I said, so, so you don't do it there in the meeting, but yet you do it over here. Well, what is the variable there? Like what, what's, and they look at me perplexed, Kathy, I don't know. I said, well, would you like to know? And then I start teaching about how, where their state of mind is, where that's why they feel good in the meeting. And then they assign the feeling good to the meeting, but it's no, it's because their minds quieted down. Then when they go out into their life, their minds get all worked up again and then they feel the stress of that. And they looked at me like, that's all it is? I go, yeah. See, so I'm, I don't negate what people do. I want to understand what did they get from it. And I have worked with a heroin addict. And he, he says to me, I, my first session, I said, now help me understand, what do you get from using heroin? And the person went, excuse me? I said, well, what do you get from it? What does it do for you? And they looked at me like nobody's ever asked me that. I said, well, I don't, I'd like to understand what you, you know, not why you use, what do you get from using? And see, that's the, the you know, people have so much thinking about how it's wrong to be using heroin to feel okay. And it's like what you said, Jason, you know, I, I, I respect anything anybody does if it's helping them. Mm. Now, what we would think would be helpful may not be what they think is helpful. But that's what they're just trying to get back to. Even the violent offenders that I've worked with in the jail system, you know, guys who have the red shirt on, they're in for, you know, killing people. Um, and and I've, I'm very clear with them. I don't agree with what they've done. But... I understand, given where their mind was, it made sense to do it, mm. you know, for whatever that reason is. So to me, people are always just trying to come home. They're always just trying to get back. And, and so, yeah, you know, even if you're, I, I had a gentleman who was in a catatonic schizophrenic, he was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia. So he was in this class where we did a group of people diagnosed with, cat, with schizophrenia. And he would sit in our class, head on the table, like head on the table. And I used to feel bad. This poor guy, he's a big tall, he's got his head on the table. And I asked the people at the the, the place that we were doing these programs, does he really have to come in and sit like that? I feel bad. They said, no, no, he has to go to the program. Well, silly me, over time he started sitting up. Like literally, like awake and cause they used to bring him in. They'd have two people to get him in the room. And it was like, he was, he was walking. He was, a, he was asleep and walking at the same, it just blew me away. And he just sat up one day and towards the end of the program, he came up to me and he said, he asked me, he said, could you, And, and in the meantime, he had asked to take notes. Could I take notes during our, our class? And I asked him, well, why do you want to take notes? And he said, well, so we know where we left off from the last class. And I'd say, great. So every class Arthur, you know, where did we leave off? So now he's participating. And at the end he said to me, he said, could you tell me about consideration? He he was probably in his late thirties, I would say. And I said, well, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? What do you want to know about consideration? He said, well, you know, a long time ago, the world got really scary, and it was going way too fast, so I had to go inside. But now that I'm, I'm outside, I wanna make sure I'm considerate to other people. I, I just lost it. I mean, I, I said, Arthur, you're doing just fine. So he actually enrolled in a mathematics class, like some kind of basic math class at the junior college that was near their facility. True story. and and thinking I wanted him out of the class because I felt bad his head was on the table. See that human spirit, that spark Bill Pettit talks about the pilot light. Mm -hmm. You know, he says we all have that pilot light. Now it may be really low, but it doesn't take much for it to come back up again. And he was an amazing example of that. That's where in my mind, that was the proof in the pudding. He, he was the person, who that's where I got my certainty 100% from watching him. That, he was the person. I said, there's no exception. Mm. So for everybody listening to this podcast, again, start to appreciate what has helped you throughout your life. Really look back. You know, think about times when you, and, and don't, go, don't feel bad at what you've gone through, but just appreciate you've gone through some tough times in your life, and we all have what got us through that like what was what was helping us get through that but then we forget that something helped us through something and we go through the whole stressing out all over again forgetting well guess what well now when i go through something i'm like so grateful i go okay thank goodness i know i have this this core of resiliency well-being limitless potential human spirit whatever you thank god that's inside me now even though i'm not doing well see that absolutely helps me doesn't keep me from going through stuff but boy if you think you know you've got to look out here to be okay man it's a tough life but if you know you have it inside then then that's all you need to know and the last thing i'd like to share about just recently a dear friend mentor friend colleague brilliant person um lost her grandchild her grandson and her son a month apart and this just happened like four months ago that was the other reason why that week was not a good week for me Mm. because i had just gotten the news and I can't imagine losing my son and my grandson. I mean, I, I know deep down I would get through it, but I, I just don't even want to consider it. Mm. And so when I first called her, uh, and it took me a day to get it together to call her, I, I was distraught. And I called her and she, she sounded like a wounded animal. That, that's how she sounded to me on the phone. And, and I was just like, oh my God. So I was just you know, with her, however I could be with her and she said at the end of the call it was a very short she said she said just hearing your voice is helping me kathy just, just i said okay good okay called her again th- two weeks later i was kind of getting ready for for the wounded you know she was amazing she was in a whole different place about it mm. and she she told me all, the, the whole story, cried through some of the story, but then saw the big picture of the whole thing. I, I, I when I hung up, I said, that, that goes beyond my understanding of resiliency. And because she, I mean, I'm, she, she, she taught me again, the certainty and, and, and the fact of this. So I am just so grateful that um, I, I was able to see it and recognize that I have it for myself. But then to see it in others to me is, is huge. And that's what I would say to anybody who is struggling or going through anything. You know, take care of yourself. Yeah, get help where you can. Absolutely. See, when we reach out for help, that's again, that part of us. Mm. That's us reaching, we're, 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 we're trying to help ourselves that is your resiliency and um but 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 start looking more in that direction and have the certainty even if you're suffering that it's still in there and and that 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 keeps me hopeful it keeps me hopeful for myself and it keeps me hopeful for any human being you know that's that's going through or suffering and especially with with what's going now on now in this country in the u.s um man, the whole country, that resilient part of them is just rising up and saying, that's it. We, we, we got to change this thing. We're, we're done. It's over. And people are just, the certainty is there. It's different. And changes are happening. And so I'm just grateful that we, that, that it exists. That, and that, that's pretty much, pretty much all I can say about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a lot, you know, it I'm- is a
1: lot. It is a
0: lot. Yeah, and pretty much, quite what quite often happens in my podcast is I just get into this space of just feeling really calm and you know with yeah. a real sense of okayness while listening because it's like my own thinking drops away. You know, as much as I've yeah. seen that, as much as I've experienced it, as much as I live my life mostly that way. You know, it's kind of like I think what's true is we're all living in the feeling of our thinking you know even even when we know that that's how it works you know and it's like that you know I can get caught up in life or what things that look like problematic or look like something I need to solve or resolve but when when you were you know I'm glad that we talked about what we did because you know you you're talking about people that are I guess by many seen as the worst type of cases you know but what you're talking about is the innate resilience that's that's there, that's, that's, um, that people respond from and, and live from regardless of, of how they're, whether they're incarcerated, whether they've been given a diagnosis, whether they're suffering with a worse type of addiction, whether they've committed a crime, committed murder, done all sorts of things that they've still got it, you know, that it's not, it's not unique to those people and it's not unique to, you know, to people who haven't done those things either. You know, it's just something that's there in everyone. Yeah. And, and um, you know, like looking back for me, for my own story, that's true, you know, and it's like, and but even now hearing it, still hearing it just takes me yeah. to that, that quiet place where I go, oh, yeah, you know, everything's, everything's okay, everything's happening exactly as it's meant yeah, to, yeah. there's nothing to worry about, there's nowhere else to be and there's nowhere to get to, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's such a nice place to, just a nice place to, to reawaken, I guess, you know, again, and just see that that, that there's nothing, you know, there's nothing for yeah, me yeah. to do, you know? And,
1: it, and it's so simple. Um, I'll just end with one last story because it's a cute story.
0: Yeah.
1: Would that be okay?
0: Yeah, of course. Absolutely.
1: Um, we, we When we first started teaching the inmates um, the principles, my colleague um, at the time, she she would draw this diagram of a human being on the, on the flip chart thing, and then she'd Drew this big blue dot in the middle of the heart where the heart is. Mm -hmm. And we use that as a metaphor for our innate well-being, you know, our core of well-being and wisdom. And because the inmates, when we would talk about this, they didn't know they still had that. Mm -hmm. See, they they thought it it was gone because of what they did or whatever. And we we of course telling, no, 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 no matter what. And we use that blue dot as a metaphor. So apparently uh, it, was a, it was like a, a program in the jail system where they had other classes. So after our class, they had an art class. Uh, it's funny, they, had, they did boot camp where they did marching and calisthenics and, and then they had classes with us and they had an art class and then they had other kinds of classes. But anyway, so all of them were doing their artwork and the art teacher was so taken aback because the artwork was beautiful. So she put all their artwork up along. We, we had this big, huge, like almost like an auditorium and she got all the artwork put up all, all on the walls of this auditorium. Hmm. And once she put it all up, she realized every, every one of the, um, each piece of artwork had a blue dot in it in some kind of way. Hmm. <laughs> she's like she she thought well this is interesting now when the correctional officer comes in because they come in ahead of time to you know check the place and all that he sees the artwork with the blue dot and immediately interprets it as a gang Mm. a gang sign because the Norteño gang which is the big gang that's in the jails here their color is blue (laughs) so, this blue dot is in all the artwork, and this the officer sees that, and he immediately calls a lockdown they weren't enough, they weren't allowed to go to class and he and they call a lockdown, and now they're gonna do this whole thing in their barracks they're gonna pull everything apart because they're doing gang stuff so I come in, and the officers you know there are a few of them now and they're all getting together to get ready to do whatever they're going to do. I said, Oh, sir, what, what happened to the class? He's "Oh, yeah, they're in trouble. They're in lockdown. They're in big trouble. I said, what did they do? Was there a fight? Cause it's always about a fight. He said, no, 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 look, no. It's this gang stuff. And he's pointing and one officer's starting to tear their artwork down. They're, they're you know, they got a ladder.
0: Mm.
1: I said, what do you mean their artwork? He said, well, yeah, look, the blue thing. I said, oh sir, no, that, that's the metaphor we use for their innate well-being. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the officer, he said, what are you talking, I said, no, we use that as a symbol for their innate well-being, that they all still have it. And the officer looks at me, he goes, and you couldn't use yellow? <laughs> I said, sir, we, we weren't thinking in those terms. And he said, so he tells the officer, all right, hold up, hold up. And, and then, you know, they finally allowed the guys to come out. Well, then I had to settle the class down because they were pissed off. I said, okay, separate realities. Remember everybody has their own way, you know? So I, you know, I had to go through that with the inmates, but yeah. So the blue dot (laughs) got them in trouble. And it was so. I mean, it, it it was so funny because it was such a big deal for these. These are tough guys with tattoos, and mm. and they have their little blue dots in their artwork, and their artwork is very intense. And you know, you know how art prison art, but they had their blue dots in there. Yeah. And I I, I will never forget that. <laughs> you couldn't use yellow. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well.
0: That's a beautiful place to end. So thank you very much for doing this with me. Oh,
1: and thank you for having me, Jason. Thank you very much.